Hello and welcome to the Urban Permaculture Podcast. I'm Heather with Hogs and Hens Urban Farm and I'm so glad that you joined me for today's episode. Today we are going to talk about a variety of berries. We're kind of going to piggyback off of last week's episode that featured Sarah Michelle from Lone Pine Farmstead. And we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about um, some different kinds of fruit, specifically berry types, that are great additions to your urban permaculture setting. So first of all, I'm going to talk about a couple terms that you may run into when you are doing some research about some of these different berry plants. Um, you're going to hear the terms primocane and floricane. Now we talked about that very briefly with Sarah Michelle last week, but I do want to clarify for those because I realized afterwards I did not elaborate on those. So primocane refers to, um, or will sometimes be called everbearing. Those are plants that will produce fruit from their current year's cane. Floricane, or fall bearing, is another term for them, are canes that will produce fruit in their second year. Now, I say canes because that's the official term for what different kinds of berries grow on, but really it's just kind of the stems or the plant itself and where the fruit comes from. Uh, the first plant we're going to talk about today is one that I am super excited to get started with, and that is the elderberry. Now, why would you want to grow elderberries? Well, first of all, I want to preface all of this by saying that I am not a medical professional and that any information contained in this podcast about um, health benefits or medicinal uses for different kinds of plants and herbs or things are strictly um, from my experience. And you should consult with a physician before making any medical decisions or um, for just taking my word for it. As with any piece of medical advice, make sure that you check with your provider. Um, but for me, elderberries are a fantastic medicinal plant. Um, they produce two, uh, between 12 and 15 pounds of berries per mature bush, which is an insane amount of fruit. And they can be used to make jams and jellies and syrups. You can also take the elder flowers, which are the flowers that will later um, die off to produce um, the berries. And you can make um, an elderflower water um, by distilling it, which is also called a hydrosol. Now, when you make a hydrosol or how you make hydrosol or what you're doing with that is you're going to take some of your plant material and you're going to put water into um, a device, a still, and you're going to, in essence, be steaming the plant matter. In this case, it would be the elderflowers. And you're going to produce two different kinds of liquid that are going to pour out when the steam is then passed through a cold coil or a cold area. The water will evaporate up through it, collect bits of that plant matter into um, the, the steam. When it gets cold, it'll then condensate and turn into a liquid. So you're going to have the hydrosol, which is the water-based component, which is going to be a delicious elderflower-infused water. And then you're also going to have trace amounts of um, essential oil, in essence. Um, now, I have not done anything and I have no experience with the oil that is created out of that. I'm not even entirely sure how much would be created uh, because I personally do not distill um, or... or um, 
make the elderflower water at this point. Um, not yet. <laughs> but I do know that the hydrosol is fantastic. It'll, it'll give you a nice floral um, flavored water. And you can then can that and preserve that to be used later on. I would recommend canning it into smaller containers, more like pint-sized jars, because it does have a fairly strong flavor, and it is fantastic in cocktails. Um, you can mix it with a host of different things. I actually had some elderflower um, hydrosol mixed with some cucumber and a sprig of mint, and then it was mixed with just about half of a shot or, or half an ounce of bourbon, and it made for a delicious, delicious cocktail. Very light and refreshing. Um, another way to do that would be to mix it with some sparkling water, or if you drink alcohol, um, you can mix it with some champagne or some carbonated wine. And it is a fantastic, very floral, and also mildly fruity flavored um, beverage. You can also just drink it plain and it's delicious. Um, the cool things about elderberries, they are hardy and grow zones three through eight. So um, if you are in a cooler climate, it is a plant that you can still grow. They don't do so great in the extreme heat um, of, the, of the deep south or the very warm tropical regions, but you can still grow them down there. The main things with them in those uh, types of area is making sure that you have a very, very, very deep mulch. They need to stay very well hydrated in order to keep them cooler and you are going to want to give them a little bit more shade in those warmer regions. Um, deer dislike them, so they are not something that deer are going to fawn over and they're not going to get ravaged by your deer. Um, elderberries are loaded in antioxidants and vitamin C, and I said they are medicinal and that they are. The elderberries can be um, boiled down and cooked down into a syrup, which is used as a natural immunity booster. Um, myself and my family, we take elderberry syrup as a replacement for over-the-counter cold medications. So um, we have some health issues in our family. We, my husband and I both have heart trouble. And with that, we have to be really careful about what kinds of over-the-counter medications we take. Now, in our household, we very rarely take any over-the-counter medications. In fact, almost everything that we take is natural, aside from a few prescriptions that we do require in order to stay alive. Um, so for us, if we start to feel a cold or a cough coming on, you'll see us going for the elderberry syrup and immediately supplementing ourselves with that. They're super simple to grow. Um, you can put lots of coffee grounds around them. They love coffee grounds as um, a compost around them. They do require full sun in zones three to eight. They do need about an inch of water every week, and they do need to be mulched. You don't want a lot of weeds and other things competing with them for nutrients. Uh, they need to be pruned at about three years old, um, or when you've got, um, they, you know, you've fruited them, I suppose is the words for it. Um, and they do best when there are two different cultivars. Now, when I say two cultivars, what I mean by that are two different plants. They don't necessarily have to be two different species, but they have to be two different plants with two different sets of DNA. How, what do you mean by that? Well, Propagating them is easiest done by cuttings. And um, Sarah Michelle talked about that last week. Um, it is a specialty at the Lone Pine Farmstead. You will take your grown elderberries 
And in the winter, when they are in their dormant phase, um, late winter, so say January through March, you're going to go out and you're going to trim and prune your elderberries. It's really important when taking cuttings, because we're going to talk about cuttings in a lot of these um, that we're going to talk about today. And this is true with all of them. You're going to want to make sure that your shears are very sharp, which you should have already done by now. If you haven't now, this is your call to action to make sure you go and get your garden tools out and give them a really good thorough scrub down, oil all the mechanisms, and make sure that the blades are really sharp because you want a nice, even cut line. From there, you're going to want to make sure that you cut up little sticks, um, hardwood or softwood sticks, with no less than two nodes. Now, a node is where a leaf bud would normally come out. But what you're going to do is you're going to trick them by taking these cuttings and immediately dipping them in a rooting hormone. Um, although with elderberries, you don't necessarily need the rooting hormone, but it does really help them to take off quicker. And you're going to put them into some potting soil that or seed starting mix that is moist but not soggy. And you're going to frequently water them to the point where the, the soil is damp, like a wrung out sponge. You don't want it to be sloppy or muddy in texture at all. You want it to be a really nice damp texture. Um, they um, need to be less than 60 feet apart from one another. If you spread them out too far, then they have a hard time um, with pollination. So if you're going to have those two cultivars, you want to make sure that you plant them within 60 feet of one another. You must cook or process elderberry you cannot eat the raw fruit. I mean, you can, but they are mildly toxic. And by that, I mean, they contain very small trace amounts of a cyanide derivative. And what that'll do is it'll really upset your stomach and cause you to have some digestive problems, um, such as diarrhea, nausea, and things like that, heartburn. So they're just going to make you really uncomfortable. They are something that you want to grow away from uh, your livestock. So you don't want them to be overhanging your chicken coop or your goat pen or your hog, you know, your hog pens because they, again, are mildly toxic and they're a raw state. You want to wait until the berries are a really dark, rich, deep purple color to harvest them. And that's when you know the time is right. And you'll simply just pick the uh, berry pods off. They come in these giant, huge fans almost of berries. And the flowers are also in these enormous white fans. The flowers almost remind me the look of a Queen Anne's lace or um, just a very lacy, delicate white flower. And in every spot that there was a flower, there'll be a berry. So you can just pick those and then to process them, you're going to want to pick them off of the stems, making sure not to add any bits of the stems or leaves in. You can cook them down and there are tons of recipes out there for elderberry jams and jellies and syrups. Um, now, like I said, we, we prefer elderberry syrup in our household, which is simply boiling them down into a water solution. You can add um, some natural sugars if you'd like, or you can simply cook it down and render it um, yourself. There are lots of different options and everybody's going to be a little bit different. You do need to preserve those jams or jellies either by canning them 
or freezing them to prevent them from getting any kind of uh, bacteria, mold, fungus, etc. The next plant we're going to talk about are blueberries. Now, blueberries are one of my son's absolute favorite things that we grow here on the farm. Last year, it was adorable. He would come darting in after school, and the very first thing he would do would go straight to the garden. He would bypass all of the other produce and immediately go to the blueberry bush to see if there were any new blue boot blueberries that he could pick and eat. Um, they're a tasty treat that you can pick right off the bush and eat right then and there. You do not have to process them. They freeze very well. You can also make, again, jams and jellies and syrups with them. You can also make blueberry pie, which is my, one of my dad's absolute favorite things to do with them, or add them to smoothies. They're absolutely and, and totally one of the leading vegetables or plants for antioxidants. They are fantastic for your body. Um, to grow them, you need them in full sun. You do want to make sure that they've got some compost Definitely recommend them being in a raised bed because they do not like hard clay soil and they do not like to have their feet soggy. They don't like soggy roots. You're going to want to make sure that your soil is well draining and kind of loamy, which means it's a very fluffy, light soil. You can add a little bit of sand to it, but not too much. You don't want it to be sandy soil. You just want to add a little bit of sand or perlite, vermiculite. You want to add some of those things to the soil to make it a very loose soil. You do need to protect them from bunnies because rabbits will absolutely decimate your blueberries because they are very, very popular um, fruit for critters. You do need to water it at least once a week. You want to make sure that you never let your blueberry dry out. About an inch of water weekly should be good. In the hottest months of summer, you may need to give it a little bit more and water it twice a week. Again, split. Instead of giving it two inches of water in one day, you're better off giving it one inch of water every five or so days, four to five days. But it is important that they stay very well moistened. Now, blueberries are self-fertile, which means that you don't have to have more than one plant in order to bear fruit, but you will bear bigger fruit and you will get more fruit if you have a second variety, um, a different cultivar, a different type of plant to cross-pollinate with. Um, now, when I was talking about the elderberries, we talked about cultivars br briefly. So with the elderberries, if I'm taking those cuttings from one plant and I'm putting them in the soil and I'm letting them root and create new plants. The problem with that is it's an exact copy of the existing plant, meaning it has the same DNA. So when I say a second cultivar, I mean if you get cuttings from me, you'll also want to get cuttings from someone else so that you have two different sets of DNA. Now, the same is true for the blueberries. Even if you don't want to get a different variety of blueberry, it's important to get two different types of cultivar, so two different parent plants, if you will, of the same variety, to get bigger and um, you know more fruit from it. But it's totally unnecessary. It's just something that is a tip to help you, you know, get more bang for your buck. Blueberries do need lots of nitrogen. 
So if you plant them somewhere where you have previously planted things like peas or beans or other legumes that are naturally going to fix nitrogen, that's a great thing. Um, they do like a, a very acidic soil um, and compared to other things. So to get an acidic soil, there's a couple of different things you can do. First of all, we talked about this before, the importance of healthy soil episode, that you need to test your soil. It's really important when you're getting started to know what kind of soil you're working with. Otherwise, you could be just adding blindly these nutrients that your plants may not even need. Now, a cheap and simple DIY trick for testing your soil's acidity or its pH to see if it's alkaline, acidic, or neutral is to take some soil from your garden and put it in a bowl or cup. And from there, you're going to get it kind of wet um, with some distilled water that's going to be a neutral pH. And then you're going to mix a little bit of vinegar in with your soil and you're going to then mix a little bit of baking soda into a separate uh, bit of soil. And you want to make sure the soil is pretty wet. What will happen is either the baking soda or the vinegar should react and start giving you bubbles. If the vinegar reacts with your soil, you know that your soil is on the basic side or alkaline side. If your soil reacts when you add some uh, baking soda, then you know that your soil is acidic and so the blueberries will love it. Now, if you need to amend your soil to make it more acidic, you can add elemental sulfur, which is a supplement that you can get from your big box stores, your local garden centers, or even online. And you can just add that to your soil before planting, and it will naturally add that, um, that acidity to the ground. Another plant we're going to talk about today are raspberries. I am so excited about raspberries. They are such delicious little berries. They come in a variety of different options. You can have red berries. You can have golden berries. I've even seen white raspberries, black raspberries. There are every type of raspberries imaginable. You can eat them raw and you don't have to worry about them making you sick. You can cook them and make jams and jellies and syrups with them. Raspberry pies are a favorite in the summer for us by just adding a little bit of raspberry gel into a graham cracker crust. Super delicious. Raspberries are self-pollinating so you don't have to have more than one to uh, grow. To grow them, um, now they are something that is a floricane, meaning they are going to grow from their second year canes. The very first year, you're going to get leaves on all of your raspberry canes, or some people call them raspberry bushes. So the first year, your, your bush is just going to produce leaves. And the second year is when it's going to produce fruit. After it has fruited, you're going to want to go ahead and cut down those canes because they're not going to bear fruit ever again. Each cane will only bear fruit once. So after it's harvested and um, starting to die down for the season um, into the fall, you can go ahead and harvest those canes. 
Now, to propagate raspberries, the easiest way to do it truly is by the suckers or runners, some people call them, um, because the raspberries are going to produce suckers or runners from their roots. They're going to shoot up little baby plants from their root systems, and they're going to spread. So you can just simply use a sharpened um, garden trowel or um, a shovel and Cut out the piece where there are suckers or runner emerging from the ground. And then you're going to use either garden shears or, again, if you want to use your trowel, your sharpened trowel, and separate them. You can simply pot them into like one gallon containers or half gallon containers with some soil and let them grow a little and you now have new babies. You can also grow them from seeds. Um, raspberries are a very seedy fruit. Um, so you can simply take a very ripe, delicious fruit and kind of smear it all over a paper towel, let it dry. And once the fruit matter that was there has dried, you'll have a bunch of seeds stuck to your paper towel. Then you will kind of use your fingernail and scrape them off of the paper towel and into potting soil where you will lightly mist them and put a very thin dusting of soil on the top and cover them lightly, put them somewhere warm, and they will start to grow from their own little tiny seeds. You can also do cuttings from uh, raspberries as well, but it is a little bit more of a process with the raspberries. Um, they do have thorns, so doing the cuttings is a little less fun because you got a little bit more of the stabby stabby going on, and that's no fun. Um, it is really important to keep your tr your canes really well trimmed and to make sure that you cut away the canes that have already produced berries because otherwise you're just going to have an unruly bramble bush and it's going to be really hard to reach in and harvest your berries. So in order to keep them well contained and in order to keep them manageable so that you are easily able to harvest them, make sure you do cut down those canes once they have been harvested. Next, we're going to talk about um, a plant that's a little bit more less known, and it has a little bit of a naughty history. So we're going to talk about gooseberries. Now, they don't spread a lot, so that is a great benefit to gooseberries. They are not something that's going to take over like raspberries are known to do. They are delicious. Um, they do take two to three years to fruit, so they do need some time in order to mature. And you want to eat them later in the season for them to be sweetest. Now, you can pick them in the very early bits of the season. They're going to be a more tart berry. But if you wait till later in the season when the fruits are just absolutely super swollen, they're going to be really sweet and juicy. If you grow them from seed, it takes one to three years to get them to, um, you know, to a plantable size. You're going to have to baby them in pots for quite some time. Um, they are kind of spiny, so that is a frustrating part about them. They have really long, sharp barbs um, or thorns. They do require a lot of sunshine. They are self-fertile. The nice thing about these, these will grow all the way down to a zone three as well. So if you are in those really cool northern climates, gooseberries are something that you can still grow. They are loaded in vitamin A, C, and some parts of the vitamin B. Um, they are they are a complicated plant, though. You see, at one point, they were illegal to propagate at all. 
because they were a plant that could carry um, a disease that was spreading rampantly. So the cultivation of gooseberries for a very long time was actually outlawed nationwide in the U.S. It is still currently illegal to propagate new gooseberries in New Hampshire, North Carolina, and West Virginia, in the states of Delaware, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Rhode Island, you are required to have a permit in order to grow gooseberries. Again, is it's an attempt to to prevent them from introducing disease to other native plants. So do check with your local guidelines before you start growing this delicious treat. They um, they can be eaten raw. You can also add them to smoothies and things. They have a texture that is different than others. Um, it's been likened to tomatoes as far as the, um, the thin skin on the outside and the soft, juicy flesh on the inside with seeds. Um, so if you're looking for something unique, they're definitely a unique treat. Blackberries. Um, now, blackberries are another plant that are controversial, and that's because blackberries do spread like crazy. Um, they are self-fertile. They are delicious. They do take about two years to get your first fruit out of them. There are thornless options for blackberries, and there are now some thornless raspberry options available as well. But the thornless blackberry options are becoming more and more popular and easier to come by. But beware when you plant blackberries because the deer will chow down. Even if you live in an area where deer aren't super common, if they smell the blackberries, they will come from miles away to chew on your blackberries. So you would be potentially introducing deer to an area that does not currently have deer. So be very aware of that. Um, you do not want to plant blackberries anywhere near nightshades. Um, now, nightshades are plants that are tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, carrots. Um, the ground cherry is also a nightshade. So any of those kind of species of nightshade, you do not want to plant blackberries near. Um, they don't like to be around other berries. They do need full sun and mild acidity, not so much acid as the blueberries, but they do like to have some acidic soil. Now, blackberries, unlike the others that I've mentioned that can all be standalone, blackberries do prefer to have a trellis. Now, if you're not wanting to build a, a full-on trellis for them to grow on, blackberries do very well being planted along fence rows because they'll use the fence to naturally trellis themselves. So that's definitely an option that's available. With blackberries, when they get really full of fruits around harvest time, if you don't have them trellised, what ends up happening is the uh, the branches will start to bend and bow and the berries will touch the ground. And once they've touched the ground, they're going to be way more prone to different kinds of pests. You're going to have more of your um, critters eating them. And also it's going to open them up to disease. Soil-borne pathogens are going to be more of a problem. Plus, if they get too close to the ground, they can start to drop their seeds and begin to grow. Um, they do spread quite a bit. Um, they do throw runners, so you do have to be very careful of that. They will self-seed, and you can also grow them from cuttings, so that's a thing. The next fruit that we're going to talk about today is one of my absolute favorites, and that is 
the strawberry. Why would you grow strawberries? Why wouldn't you grow strawberries is really the question you should ask yourself here. Strawberries are loaded with vitamin C, and vitamin C is an excellent immunity booster. They are delicious, eaten raw. They're amazing additions to salads and fruit salads. They go great in smoothies or mixed with ice cream. You can make pies and syrups, jams, jellies, all of the things with them. They are super easy to grow. They spread like crazy. In fact, they can be mildly invasive if you're not careful. And they are just super, super delicious little plants. Now, there are three main types of strawberry. There are your classic strawberries, which will throw fruit in June. There are your ever-bearing strawberries, which will throw fruit in June and also late summer. And my favorite are alpine varieties, which will start growing fruit in June and continue through the fall. Now, the alpine berries are a little bit smaller, but I find them to be a lot sweeter as well. Now, to propagate them, you can propagate them from seeds. Um, if you've ever seen a strawberry before, the outside of them are covered in seeds. They are really simple. Again, you can just peel the skin of them and let them dry on a paper towel, flake the seeds into the soil and go from there. Or honestly, you can just plant a mature ripe strawberry in the soil. You don't even have to do much else. You can cut it in half, works better in my opinion, um, but you'll grow them in a large pot and they will produce hundreds of tiny little strawberry babies from all of those little seeds that are in your actual fruit. From there, you just pick out the individual plants when they get a little bit bigger and pop them up into their own individual containers and then plant them. I do recommend putting these into a raised bed that has, you know, clearly defined borders because as I said, they do grow like crazy and spread pretty voraciously. Another option is to put them in hanging baskets. They do very well in hanging baskets and they will begin to shoot out what are known as runners, which are individual little long legs that'll stick out. It'll look like a little stick at first and then at the very end, you'll see a little um, cluster of leaves begin to form. And what happens, the strawberries will shoot those out and then those little individual clusters will start taking root and the line that connected it to the host plant will just kind of wither and die like an umbilical cord. And the new strawberry plant will take off, and so it grows from the parent plant. You can also snip those off and plant them yourselves if you don't want to let the strawberries kind of go wild on their own. If you want to contain and control where they grow, you can simply nip off the runners, put them into new plants or new pots, excuse me, and go from there. They actually make uh, several different varieties of um, pots that are a taller, skinnier variety that have little holes in the sides where you can plant the strawberries in the sides, but it'll allow you to get more strawberries. You can also plant them in very thin soil. They don't need super deep soil to thrive. You um, can put them in gutters. That's That's been a super popular thing lately. The one thing I caution you with is that they do require plenty of moisture. So if you're going to grow your strawberries in gutters or um, in like a gutter trellis system, or in bags. Um, strawberry bags are really popular. You can do them in the topsy-turvies where they're upside down. The problem with those are that often they get neglected of water. So if you're going to do them in gutters, you just have to make sure that they get plenty of moisture and a small amount of fertilizer. 
strawberries will grow in nearly any soil. In fact, you can even grow them in rocks, to be quite honest, with just a little extra nutrition. They don't need super fancy soil, but they do need little amounts of um, you know, vitamins, things like phosphorus and potassium and nitrogen. So if you get a very well-balanced NPK ratio, which is the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, a really well-balanced mix, and you water it down because they don't need a ton, you can grow them successfully in gutters. And as they start to send runners, you just train the runners to grow in the gutters, and you'll have gutters that you can mount in layers and have strawberries all year long, especially if you use those alpine varieties that we talked about. You can propagate them from all of those different things, but you do need to be really careful with them because they do not like mint. They do not like the nightshades that we talked about before, which are things like tomatoes and carrots, peppers, and uh, ground cherries. They really don't prefer to be grown around other berries. They're not big fans of roses or chrysanthemums or melons because melons are very, very heavy feeders. They tend to strangle out the strawberries. Melons also tend to have very large leaves and will cause a lot of shading. And in order for your strawberries to thrive, you need them to have full sun. The more sun and the more moisture they have, the better they're going to do. And the last one we're going to talk about today isn't necessarily a berry, but we're going to talk about the mulberry tree. Now, some call a mulberry bush, some call a mulberry tree. I've always called it a mulberry tree, so that's what I'm going to refer to it as today. Why would you grow mulberries? Well, they're delicious. They're a, a undersung hero of the fruit world, for sure. A nice thing about them is they're very, very tolerant of the juglone that is produced by walnut trees. So if you have a walnut tree in your guild that is your, your um, permaculture food forest, you know, if you've got a, a walnut tree in your guild, it's really hard to plant other things with them because not a lot of plants will do well around them. Mulberry is an exception to that. And with mulberries, if you continually trim them, you can keep them more at a bush height, you know, six six to eight feet tall, which is a reachable length still. Or you can just let them go crazy and they can get 25 to 30 feet tall and grow giant trees. The problem with getting those giant trees are that you can't reach to harvest those berries. So I personally prefer to keep my mulberry trees well trimmed into a a an ornamental shape or a dwarf size, if you will, and uh, make them reachable. They are self-fertile, so you don't have to have more than one of them in order to get fruit. They're pretty low effort. You can eat them raw or cooked, again, with the jams, jellies, pies, and syrups. Um, you can propagate them from cuttings. You can propagate them from grafts, which is how you're going to um, do a lot of your apples, for example. Um, so grafting is where you take the, the trunk of another tree, in essence, and you graft on or cut a cutting or a start from another type of tree and attach the two. The two will fuse together and heal, and you will have the root stock of one tree and the actual growth of another. That's how you get varieties of dwarf apple trees. That's how you get the smaller trees. They use a dwarf tree, a very small tree for the root, and then they'll take the other type of tree and graft it on. And so it won't grow huge because the roots won't allow it. 
and you'll still have the variety of um, fruit that you'd like. Well, you can do that with these mulberries as well. You can also do seeds because mulberries do have seeds in them and you can absolutely start them from seed. Just know that with most trees, it does take quite a long time to grow them from a seed state. Beware of this though. Mulberries will absolutely attract pests. Deer love mulberries. This is another thing that's going to draw deer to your yard. Another thing um, berries will, these mulberries will attract are going to be things like rabbits and skunks and squirrels. They're going to be attracted to them because as the berries get dropped from the trees, when the birds nibble at them, they'll drop them to the ground. And then the, um, you know, the ground critters are going to flock to that tree as a source of scraps. They're going to try to forage the dropped berries that the birds leave behind or that the wind leaves behind. You're also going to have tons of birds flocking to the area because birds love, love mulberries. In fact, even sandhill cranes, which are pretty huge birds, have been known to come to mulberry trees for a quick bite to eat. Another unfortunate side effect of having a mulberry tree is that you are going to have bright purple bird droppings everywhere and it will stain um, so if you have white patio furniture for example you will have purple polka dotted patio furniture because no amount of scrubbing gets that mulberry stain out from the bird droppings so that is one negative downside to the mulberries but honestly we have so many other things growing here at the farm that I'm not too concerned about it I personally have not had any problems with any of these things attracting, um, you know, unwanted rodents or pests to our garden because we do use such a strong integrated pest management system here of, you know, companion planting and things to throw off the critters. So if you're really careful with these things, you can avoid those, those negative effects for sure. Some of the nice things about all of the fruit that we talked about today, all of them flower and attract beneficial insects like Honeybees, one of the most important insects to your garden are the honeybees. Honeybees are super important for making sure that your plants are all pollinated. And without honeybees, honestly, our entire food system is going to be doomed. So making sure that we plant lots of things to feed the honeybees is going to be a great way for us to ensure the honeybee population continues to grow. It's also going to grow or, or attract other beneficial insects like hoverflies, which are going to be great for repelling some of your not so positive insects into the garden. So those are some of the uh, the berry varieties and the mulberry, which I guess technically isn't really a berry, but we're going to count it today anyway. Those are some of the ones that I absolutely recommend. I'm sure we'll talk about some other ones like huckleberries and hascaps and goji berries in a later episode, but I wanted to tell you guys a little bit more about some of these berry varieties because I got so excited after talking with Sarah last week that I just had to share some more details on them. I thank you so much for tuning in today. Make sure if you have not already, find us on Facebook at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm and check out our website, hogsandhensdayton.com. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week.